three, two, one. Welcome everybody back to the Let's Talk podcast. It's been a while. I'm your co-host, Kaylin Williams. And I am your other co-host, Timothy Edwards. And today we are going to be talking about the fall of the Roman Empire. This will be an informative podcast, unlike our other ones where we talk to other people and we learn from them. This is one where we're informing all of you about the topic, the fall of the Roman Empire specifically. Um, We're actually going to be talking about not necessarily one specific point of the fall of the Roman Empire, but how it gradually over time fell in the aspects of that. So in the different the different areas of the social and political and even governmental realms that will that influenced that slow decline. Yep. We're gonna specifically talk about the politics and government, how the Roman Empire crumbled from the top down, the military and how the military and generals throughout the various occupied lands responded to the gradual fall of the Roman Empire, and then the influences the Roman Empire had even after the collapse and how it influenced things such as the Catholic Church or the Christian Church and the Renaissance. So, that's good. And this is going to be more of a question and response type podcast while also being at the same time a um, conversation. So, (laughs) ready? Yeah. All right, the first question that we have is, I guess, that to ask, would be, like, where are the first signs of the downfall of Rome? Like, what made Rome be this, where are the downfalls? Like, what were the very first signs that people saw? And one of the things that I noticed was Rome actually has three different types of government all working, or it had three types of government all working at the exact same time. And these three types of government consisted of a dictatorship, which was taken by the emperor, and a bureaucracy, which was a class-based system that consisted of the most powerful senators who would be in office and they would, you know, create laws and create taxes and they controlled basically how the military and what they operated under. And the last was a um, citizen-based system that they had where citizens could directly elect their own officials being other citizens to represent them in the Roman Empire. I think you can even see that in future future governments as well, kind of a tra- a attempt to kind of replicate that in a way. Yeah. But well, this, <laughs> well, these three forms of government, they worked in the beginning, but slowly it turned into a bureaucracy, which is a class-based system based off of the wealth and power a certain family had, which you saw, like, we got to see a lot in the end, towards the end of the Roman Empire, for one example is Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar came from a very wealthy family, and he mm-hmm. assumed the title of emperor after being a senator. You know, and basically, he never went through, you could say, uh, a lot of struggle, such as the common, I, what would you say, the commoners, right? Yeah, I mean, just normal citizens. Right. Because he had, because then the next people were like slaves and occupied territories so they weren't even roman citizens exactly so when the roman empire when they differed from the three systems of government that they normally had or they they had in the beginning and it worked for a while and they went more towards a class-based system you had emperors who were elected by the senate who in the senate who controlled the the citizens-based system that held the government in a nice balance to where everyone had i guess you could say equal share Mm-hmm. Is is one word to say in the empire, but once it turned to a class based system, then everyone else was shut out. If you didn't have land, if you didn't have gold, if you were in a high ranking military officer, come from you know 
the right sort of family, then you had almost no say so in what operated and yeah. what happened. And that causes fear in the citizens and less trust, less of a, a mutual based relationship between the government and the people. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a definite start of the decline. Yeah, this this the first signs are is not even um, yeah. now corruption be- is a byproduct of that, mm-hmm. but though but those are the first actual signs, which is deferring from what has worked for the last call it I think it was about five or six hundred years they had the system before it slowly began to turn into a class based system, and the next question that I um, asked was, did the three methods of government lead to the downfall of Rome? And I honestly do believe it did. It played a huge part because keep in mind, even though it's three different systems of government working to go collectively at the same time, you still had a dictator during times of war, which mm-hmm. you know would rule for six or seven years, have have any say so into the direction Rome went and the conflicts it was in, mm-hmm. and then you had a Senate comprised of mainly mm-hmm. just people who were in just wealthy families. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. From that, it would come, um, you know, when the leaders would come in in times of hardship, they honestly aren't always good leaders for times of peace. Exactly. So that that lag time, and especially with a lot of civil war and overthrow and things that started to come as, like, with the decline, it would definitely just make it even harder, those times in between strong leadership or any type of control and mutual relationship. It just, you know, those lag times would make it a... Exactly. Drive a big wedge in the in the strength. And one and one thing that came about from creating a class based system or that class based system being in place was and this is actually from Purdue at EDU was too much wealth was coming into the nation. Because when it turned to class based, the people the families who already had wealth all they did was assume positions of government power to get more for themselves. So too much wealth was actually coming into the country because the Roman Empire themselves were conquering too much land and too much gold was being sent into the country, which then created, in turn, created just inflation and it created election bribery and for heightened offices. So, and there was a document called the Lex Calpurnia, which established a permanent court for extortion and it tried to stop extortion because it was happening too much. I mean, you, People think that a country can't be, I guess you could say, too wealthy, but it's not true. You know, mm-hmm. like especially if your country is run under one sort of ruler yeah. for a period of time. That period of time could be as short as a year. I think is the shortest yeah. for an emperor, or I think the longest was forty, forty, forty or thirty years. Yeah. That's when you start feeling the weight of money and weight of gold then. Exactly. Starts bringing down. Yeah. So you saw in politics just the economics of the Roman Empire just falling and crumbling apart around them. And one also byproduct of this was barbarians. Barbarians became a huge issue because, and people think of the barbarians outside of the Roman Empire that fought them from the time it was first well it's created but there are actually barbarians inside of rome as their geographical empire spread across just the vast area of europe so you had losing control of that like you had more yeah and then you had more natives in the country that were not of roman descent 
than the actual people themselves who were, I guess say, domestic, the domestic Romans themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like they had, you could say, almost like a mass immigration problem, but these immigrants were, well, trying to destroy them. So. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, then not happy campers. <laughs> <laughs> or happy, uh... Happy. Happy Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not happy Barbie. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Now, uh, <clears throat> there is another question I did ask, which was, were there any major figures in government that tried to combat the inevitable? Because after the last 300 or 200 or so years of the Roman Empire, it became pretty inevitable as they were losing systems of government, as they lost their main system of government, and as corruption was just far too deep into government officials, and as they were, I guess you'd say, extorting their own citizens, not even the lands that they were conquering. Um, one person who did try to combat this was Marcus Aurelius, the Emperor Marcus Aurelius, and he tried to stop it by making Rome stop conquering new lands. He believed that the empire had spread as far as it needed to at the moment, and it was growing too fast. And he did this to counteract the amount of money coming into the empire itself, but in doing so, this caused inflation to rise due to a decrease in gold in the country. And since inflation rose and that the money in the country was now being depleted, this directly affected the military, which is the next talking point I'd like to get into. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about it? Yeah, I had some like notes in here with the extensive type of welfare state that they were trying to implement mm-hmm. at that time, along with inflation. That was just two, two swords in one body. It was just too much to to handle. It was um, a serious decline in the currency value and the drop in the purchasing power. Yeah. So they couldn't even. It was yeah, like I said, an attack from two sides. It's just. It's like you couldn't. You can not expand your empire too fast yeah. because otherwise, you know, you didn't have enough money to support such a vast empire. Mm-hmm. But then again, you couldn't, you could, what is it? You couldn't, so you couldn't not expand, but at the same time, you couldn't expand because then you'd have way too much money coming in. And most of that money isn't even going towards the citizens of Rome, it's just yeah. going to fund the capital. Yeah. So it's so. just increasing corruption and decreasing stability exactly. at the same exact time and that's the fourth question i had which was were there any revolts within mm-hmm. roman ranks and legions and absolutely um because most roman soldiers actually from not even when uh, rome started to decline as an empire itself but even when rome was at its heightened state um roman and roman soldiers and roman generals they were more loyal to the military than they were the state mm-hmm. so Within their when their own system of government failed them, a lot of generals started recruiting private armies for their own gain. Specifically, like some one specific case is um, C. Marius and L. Cornelius Sulla, and they recruited troops that were more loyal to the military than the state, and they actually tried to overthrow the state at one point. Now, this was um, not soon after Roman was at it, Rome was at its highest, I guess you could say peak. Rome was at its peak, so they failed, but we can see early on that a lot of soldiers themselves, they were unhappy because they were being, un- they were fighting Rome's wars. They were away from their families and away from home all the time. And they were fighting for a capital that was thousands of miles away as the, you know, as the Roman empire grew and they were being underpaid for it. That's mm-hmm. the main thing it is many troops were tired of just fighting Rome's battles and being underpaid. Yeah. 
Yeah, they just uh, didn't want to be tools when you actually had the heart and they were standing more for the country, training up their children to, like, you know, uphold the responsibilities of the country as a whole. Exactly. But instead, you just became a tool. They started to really lose value. And exactly. You start losing battles. And, yeah. and and you have to think from the perspective of a, of a soldier who conquers these lands. And I think the statistic is 80% of the people that they conquered turned, were forced into slavery, some mm-hmm. form of slavery. Mm-hmm. So you have to think from their perspective, they know what it's like to work for someone for free so they're thinking of themselves as slaves to the own state yeah and many and generals themselves who are connected higher with more political leaders who are in direct contact with them you know to communicate with them you know what they're going through or the struggles they're going through or something like that Mm -hmm. they um they themselves are able to see the corruption so they see the men around them getting ticked off because they're not being paid and then them they themselves are high-ranking officers who have more wealth and more enough power to, you say, retire from the Roman Empire. Yeah. But, but the political leaders will either won't let them, or they're just talked and forced into, hey, like I promise, when we conquer this land, you'll get this, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Like when you go enslave these people, you'll get this. But they're seeing slavery all around them, and they're comparing that to what they're going through, and they really don't see a difference Mm -hmm. and that's probably that's a that's a big issue yeah that's tons of mistrust that's yeah um there was one statesman who was an author of Rome named Cicero who wrote that he believed the only reason for war was so Rome could actually live in peace because when they realized that they can't and this this may go this might be a little oxymoronic to say but you can have war without conquering, directly conquering the land. For example, the Romans allowed the Greeks to self-govern themselves. Mm-hmm. They were just occupying them. They never, and they still tax the Greeks, but when they conquer them, they actually tax them at a, I think it was a 20% lower or 20% rate compared to what they were paying under their ruler before they occupied their lands. So I guess one way to combat the inflation that was caused through corruption, through political just discourse, was they would occupy lands instead of directly conquering them. So that's why I believe that statesman Cicero wrote that the only reason for war is so Rome could live in peace is because he realized, or at that point, everyone in Rome, including the citizens, realized that if we keep expanding, we're going to have too much money, and most of this money is not going to go towards things that we need, and we won't have enough or the inflation will rise to the point where we can't purchase anything. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And back to the thing, too, about, like, with the soldiers and stuff, I was just thinking, is as they're going out conquering more lands and everything, they're seeing themselves as less and less valuable to the state and less as citizens, and they're definitely going to lose their patriotism when they see themselves as no different than the people they're, they're and, fi- and, not even fighting. But, you know, if if peace was the ultimate goal, then it's a whole, you know... They're not seeing that anymore. Yeah. And it's almost symbolic that they, the further and further they get away from the capital of Rome, the further they get away from the actual state itself. Yeah. It's almost symbolic in that sense. Yeah. They're more sending them out kind of like explorers in a way. And I think that's kind of the, the mentality that would come in is they're like, this isn't, this isn't even our land, you know? Yeah. This isn't where we belong. Exactly. So. Like, yeah. like they're far away in a foreign land. Um. And most people actually think, and I had to do my own research on this, that Rome went down fighting, and it did, but a vast majority of the soldiers 
long before the actual collapse of Rome and the Dark Ages start. They just didn't have any loyalty to it at all. They had loyalty to their, you know, man fighting next to them and their mm-hmm. general. They had loyalty to the military itself. Yeah. Because they don't, because they, and they also probably didn't have, since this is um, very, very early on in history, they didn't have much communication as to what's going on in Central Rome. So if, let's say, the if an emperor got overthrown or corruption was or corruption was widespread and known to the public something came out they might not figure it out for another six eight twelve fourteen months and even then they're in the middle of a battle they're in the middle of war they're in foreign lands so there's no guarantee that they even care yeah it's <laughs> true they're like i'm just trying to survive right now i'm yeah. thousands of miles away mm-hmm. um but Later on, as the capital, again, later on as the capital was falling apart due to economic and political turmoil, the Roman Empire started being carved up by barbarians just because the military itself refused to fight anymore. They refused to fight for an empire that was um, undertreating them, if that's a word, underpaying them, or I guess not treating them, (laughs) underpaying them. And, um, I mean, just imagine you're in a legion, you're a soldier yourself, and... The general that you're fighting with says, I'm going to start my own private army. I'm leaving <laughs> the Rome. I'm leaving Rome. And you're probably going to join them. So, yeah. yeah. I think we actually just answered yeah. a few questions, like, which was um, like my fifth question, I believe, which was um, how they're occupied colonies respond and the sixth question what happens in major channels well we just answered that like the occupied lands themselves they they remained occupied but not strictly through force sometimes it was more of we're just here yeah yeah and like you were saying too the soldiers it's not like um yeah i think that they could honestly being in their own lands and everything they were mustering strength in certain ways whereas the romans are out there expanding 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 and you're just kind of losing ground. I mean, it's like... Exactly. Um, I mean, it's like a board game. When you start expanding too much, they can come behind you, you know? And think about Strength almost the... Um, think about the interactions that the soldiers are probably having. Yeah. Think about, um, like, if we want to talk about nationalism, the people... It, it's natural, the closer you are to the capital, yeah. the state itself, the more, I guess, nationalistic you are. Now, with corruption going on, that's probably... That's debatable, but... A soldier who's 2,000 miles away, somewhere in the middle of Germany or somewhere on the edge of, you know, this somewhere, Russia. yes, yeah. somewhere, they probably, they're so far away from the state and they probably interacted with so many people. Like, they, mm-hmm. even though they were conquerors and they were told to make people slaves, make people laborers, they're the ones who weren't, I'm sure they had good conversations. I'm sure that they had good interactions to where they're like, hey, maybe this isn't that bad. You know, like, because these are all individuals. They yeah. they belong to the state, but they belong to individuals. In the military, they really did not care about the state at all. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, especially just with weakened leaders coming in and everything. I mean, it's just kind of little punches at a time. Rome wasn't one. Rome wasn't built in a day, and it sure didn't fall <laughs> in one day. Exactly, which is why when I picked this topic, I thought that I was going for more of a day or an era, but I just realized that there was no possible way I could do that because yeah. Rome, from the first 300 years it was conceived, was immediately facing 
just turmoil and hardship and overthrown of empires and then in the middle of this heightened state it realized that it was having too much corruption and then towards i guess what you would call the end obviously people would think that's the end but we'll find out later on that it wasn't due to one pope but that's a that's a later question and then the other question which i mentioned uh what happened to major generals after the collapse of an empire well just like the um empire that alexander the great ruled his generals well what they do they just divide the land among them yeah Yeah, so that's that's basically what happened to the colonies and the generals now is this where the tetrarchies came in yes yeah co-rule yeah yep they were and they i mean it's 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 a common system of government or a common system of empires in general when an empire falls the ones who actually have the power now it's it's ironic the ones who actually have the power aren't the senate anymore who had the power for thousands of years it's the ones who were out fighting Mm -hmm. risking their lives the generals who know those foreign lands by the by heart yeah you know like like you can't take a senator and throw him in the mountains of switzerland expecting (laughs) to survive versus a general who's been conquering that land for the last 10 years yeah and he finds out the empire is done he's like okay well this is mine now <laughs> you know yeah so. yeah and then they became i mean east and west rome at one point they did that's split it straight in half <laughs> yeah um so clearly there are a lot of factors that came about when or there's all there's just it's almost like a rabbit hole when someone asks, if someone were asked the question, why did Rome fall? There's this, there's a lot of different things that you can attribute to that, such as private armies, the rise of barbarians in their in their own territory. There was a lot of mutiny. There was a lot of class-based systems that didn't allow for its own citizens eventually to have a say-so, and they were it's almost as if the citizens were in their own land and these powerful rulers were occupying it just like the soldiers were occupying other foreign lands we had political corruption inflation there were there's just a slew of things that happened that made it so rome would eventually fall there mm-hmm. there were just a lot of things that pointed towards that which is one which is why i like the question of the inevitable like why why, why one would any major government official try to combat the inevitable fall of Rome? But yeah, um, I, yeah, uh, I had another thing like from like some old notes. But there was a a process by doing on the job type training mm-hmm. where they'd be automatically in a whoever's ruling or you know conquering generals whatever they would be like doing type of apprenticeship preparing for the next generation mm. well or the next leadership yeah and then they kind of gave that up as it turned more empire and you know with all these other things along with that they weren't prepping for the next group mm-hmm. anymore they were all focused on their own initiative and you know that's that's half the battle <laughs> that's that's super interesting that's like yeah that's like the in the, again in their minds they're already like, okay yeah. i don't want to be a part of this yeah. anymore yeah not only did they hand the next group more problems and usually you know they might not have even wanted to have a next group (laughs) but it's not only did they give them more problems they gave them no solutions or even remote possibilities of solutions they just so and there is there's so there's two more questions that i decided to ask and will answer but really but um if anyone wants to know 
what all this economic corruption turmoil caused, one of the most immediate causes of all this, and this is one of the things that completely sunk Rome economically and financially, were the roads and commerce and trade of Rome that were all being safeguarded by military officials and safeguarded by the Roman Empire itself and the trade routes that, you know, entered that allowed Rome to trade with places like China, India, parts of the Mediterranean, um, parts of North, certain parts of North Africa that they didn't conquer. Those trade routes were now gone. So all their economic trade of the inflow of gold, of the inflow of goods and I mean just money and wealth, they didn't have that anymore. So yeah, definitely. You know, that that's one of the meet the very first things that went um, after the government fell and after the military decided most of the military decided that they weren't going to fight for Rome anymore and they were just become going to become citizens of whatever nation that you were currently occupying or they were going to start their own private armies and try to take over or split up break up the land that they had conquered over a number of years yeah and that goes along with the communication too I mean it just made it Near impossible to keep flow, (laughs) cash flow, communication flow. However, this is like this is where it gets tricky. This is where someone (laughs) might say, "Okay, well, um, what's the time interval for that?" Well, that all that happened within a thousand years. We're talking (laughs) fifty BC to uh, what is nine? That'll be nine fifty eighty, roughly. Like we're talking about a very very big time interval, and I conducted lots of research and did lot and found lots of resources that all center around Rome fell in 500 AD it fell in 600 AD there's no clear date but the tricky part is even after Rome fell it still had major influences in some parts because a, a, a powerful empire like that that rules over a hundred lifetimes yeah. and back well that would be a hundred lifetimes back in their yeah. day if you lived till 20 and 30 you know <laughs> it's like a hundred lifetimes 200 lifetimes um an empire like that just doesn't disappear yeah. just and and imp- and that empire actually turned the roman empire directly right after it fell almost it, it seemed like another empire just began which was the byzantine empire but specifically, I'd like to discuss how the Roman Empire passed its ideals on through Christianity and the church mm-hmm. after, and also how Rome itself transformed from a destroyed capital ruled now by, I believe it was the Byzantine and then later on the Greeks, to uh, uh, how they turned their capital into a place that would harbor the Renaissance, basically. So. Constantinople. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. All right, one point. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, one thing that happened immediately after the Roman Empire fell was the Dark Ages. And a lot of the citizens of Rome, they went towards the church for guidance and for safety because the Christianity for most of Roman citizens was outlawed. Um, there were a few um, emperors who did allow Christianity to like be practiced within the Roman Empire, like I, like you just said, Constantine. Constantine. Yeah, Constantine. Yeah. Um, but most emperors banned the practice of Christianity. So 
But what popes did and what a lot of religious officials did was they adopted the Roman, what is it, uh, the, I guess you'd say the ideal of an emperor. Because they have that, because all because Christianity was already popular, but now you had a influx of people coming into the church, so the church was growing. So, and as the church grows, it gets more money. It gets gotta more. have a leader. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so popes and religious leaders start acting yeah. as if they were emperors themselves. Yeah. And in fact, one pope, Pope John the Seventh, crowned Charlemagne later on, because he tried. Because Pope John the Seventh wanted for the Holy Roman Empire to return, but it failed, obviously, but he crowned Charlemagne Emperor in an attempt to restore the Holy Roman Empire. Um, and the fall, but, and it's, it's actually ironic that the fall of Rome led Christianity to prosper. Again, many people fled to the church, and many people saw the church as a safe haven. Yeah. So, weird. Yeah, so weird. It, was, it, was, it was weird. It was outlawed for many Romans, and it was, assume that you know if roman ideals passed along that christianity would just dissipate but you know rome allowed christianity to prosper mm -hmm. i think partly too um it's totally like personal based but like i think something that happened with the dark ages is like with roman catholic or roman what is it the western I, I can't remember the but the roman catholic church essentially yeah started making it like you said where instead of it just being um more about the individual based um they had to you know like you said make it a church make sure the money goes yeah. wherever they want and all those things i think that was part of the issue because part of us coming out of the dark ages was um translations of the bible itself and other religious books not just being in one language anymore because yeah. those were kept from the people like that's something that always drove me up the walls like a lot of these religious leaders and stuff were actually not, they just read it to their people and translate for them. Exactly. And it's like, man, that's that, you know, should all information be free, that kind of and that was, battle. And that was just the whole thing with the Dark Ages. I mean, you had you had one thing that Rome did was they, uh, if the influence that the, the influences that they spread almost immediately weren't the good aspects of Rome. It was the mm -hmm. corruption. It was the money hungry. It was the exactly. thought of an emperor and that and it's not that the pope is an emperor it's just religious leaders started acting as if they were emperors yeah. to because when you have a church that goes from 100 people to 10,000 yeah. in a matter of let's say 50 years 60 years that's not enough time to adjust for yeah. anybody yeah. you know that's, that's not enough time to especially not back in those days so that's one thing that they that they passed on along but thankfully after the Dark Ages, long after the Dark Ages, um, the Roman Empire passed along the, I guess you say the just the things that made it so great, yeah. such as the, hmm, yeah, 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 absolutely, which became what we now know as the Renaissance, yeah. because people, after the Roman Empire fell, people were fascinated by the thoughts and the perceptions that the Roman Empire held and the core beliefs that it had because even though the Roman Empire, the government eventually failed them, for a long time they had a government that a lot of nations based their government on. Yeah. Such as the Magna Carta, which was then adopted by the well, the Bill of Rights. I was about to say the Constitution. <laughs> yeah. Bill of Rights. So, <clears throat> well, we, uh, the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. it is the Constitution. Well, well yeah, the, the Bill, Bill of Rights is in the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, 
a lot of sculptors, painters, and Italian authors took a lot of influence from past Roman architecture mm-hmm. and transformed it. Um, one Italian author, Alberti, became fascinated at structures such as the Colosseum and tried to honor Roman culture by creating things that they couldn't. So they combined modern engineering and modern sculpting, modern tools that they had, and yeah. also now the new knowledge that they had. And they, it, it's almost ironic that when, at, almost right after one of the greatest empires that ever lived fell, Europe itself fell into a very long, uh, you said 500, something mm-hmm. like that, dark age time, where there was, there was just suffering all around. There was suffering. There was no independent thinking, mm-hmm. or at least not at a mass scale. There was no innovative learning. There was no teaching of new things there was there was nothing no like technological that technological advancement but it, it, it yeah. and then out of that it blossomed into what we now know as the renaissance and made and you know a lot of famous names obviously came out of that one being obviously leonardo da vinci and so they could and one thing that alberti did was he um combined when he combined engineering and sculpting he made one of the first things that he made successfully that still stands as a complete bronze statue of Marcus Aurelius because Marcus Aurelius as we said before he was one of the first he was one of the few non-corrupt government officials who tried to fix Rome the best way he could unfortunately he caused a lot of inflation but he did the best that he could and you can only do so much when you have um I believe the senate started off with the senate itself I believe started off with uh I I read this in the book the Storm Before the Storm, The Beginning and End of the Roman Empire by Mark, Mike Duncan. I think it's, I believe in the very beginning it started off with 30 to 40 people and then towards the end it had roughly 200 to 500 senators. So he can only do so much because even though, even as, even the emperor in the Roman Empire itself did not have complete mm-hmm. utter control such as a dictator. And that's weird to hear because you think dictator, emperor, same thing. But the Romans treated the emperor as if he was just another citizen who just so happened to have power, I guess you could say. Yeah. (laughs) Almost. He was more, like, deified um, than glorified. Well, the the emperor had money himself. Yeah. He could probably... He could probably... He he himself could probably... Probably had more money than the average senator. But when you combine all the senators together, they obviously had collectively more money and influence than he did. Yeah. True. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. So there. <laughs> so that's pretty much it. We answered the question. If you want to know, we answered the questions of what were the first signs of the downfall of Rome? Did the three methods of government lead to the downfall of Rome? Um, were there any major figures in government who tried to combat the inevitable? Were there any revolts within the Roman ranks and legions? Which there were. There were a lot. How did their occupied lands respond? What happened to the major generals that were a part of the Roman Empire? And what did they do after it fell? How did Roman ideals pass through the Christian church? And how did Rome transform itself into a capital that would eventually harbor the Renaissance? Um, The sources that we used were The Storm Before the Storm, The Beginning and End of the Roman Republic by Mike Duncan. Um, history.com, ancient.edu, purdue.edu, pbs.org, rome.info, medium.com, and the Great Course Daily. Those are the uh, sources used and the questions asked. And the to summarize, basically, when you ask the question of what made the Roman Empire fell, 
the first thing that I would say is, and I'm sure, and I hope you listeners um, would say also is, well, it depends on what you're talking about. Which, <laughs> which one? Which one would you rather? Which, which area? Are you talking about? Are you talking about the military, the politics of it, or the citizens themselves? Or are you talking about when did the Roman Empire finally stop having influence? And if you were to ask the last question, well. I guess you could almost say it never did. Yeah. Because we have talking about it. Because we have <laughs> yeah, we have a constitution that has ideals passed along, you know, almost like a cousin of the Roman Empire, you could yeah. say. I mean even democratic republic form a yeah. style of government, yeah. you know. The, before it was a Roman Empire, it was a Roman Republic. So. Yeah. Super true. So cool. We hope you guys uh, learned something from this, and thank you all for listening. I'm your co-host, Kalen. And I'm your other co-host, Timothy Edwards. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you all for listening. Uh, We hope you have a good day. Thank you.